0: Lord, as we hear now from your word, would you help us to be moved by this? Cause us to think, really to use our minds, and also would you stir our affections, take hold of our hearts, and cause us to love you more deeply. We ask your guidance now. Help us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is Hebrews in chapter 3. I want to take up here this morning these first six verses. Hebrews in chapter 3, will begin in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself." For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is God's word. Now, just to catch us up to where we are this morning, by this point in the book of Hebrews, we have seen the author address Jesus as better. So Jesus is better than the angels, and then Jesus has a better message of great salvation. So now the author turns to compare Jesus to Moses, and it's no surprise here that Jesus is better than Moses too. But as the author compares these things, Jesus better than whatever he's comparing to, I want us to notice here that always, and in this case, the emphasis is not on Moses the emphasis stays on Jesus. He asks us here at the beginning, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. And we might say, well, <laughs> haven't we been doing that the whole time? I mean, isn't that what we do, that, that we're considering Jesus? Uh, yes, I think that's true. I hope so. Uh, we want to keep it that way that we really put Jesus front and center, that we're fixing our attention on Jesus and consciously holding our attention on Jesus. To consider Jesus is really good practice. In fact, it's the best practice. It is life for us to consider Jesus, but it's not easy. It will take strength We'll take energy, energy that comes from God's spirit to do this because there are so many things in our lives that are calling for our consideration. Maybe even good things that are worth considering. So the doctor says then, consider changing your diet, <laughs> your salt or fat intake. Consider changing your exercise routine. Or, or Facebook, as lately as speaking now to me when I get on, sometimes. Consider saying hi to so and so, it says. My email tells me, consider following up on this email. Kids, sometimes even my own, say, look at this. Which means, consider the crayon drawing that I just put on the wall while you weren't looking. You know, or, or outside. I walked out this morning and thought I should consider two pairs of socks. And at the end of the day, it's usually my eyelids that are saying, consider going to sleep. In the midst of all the things that call for our consideration, the scripture calls us to consider Christ. And there are few other places in our lives that will call us to do this, but God's word does. He calls us to consider Jesus, so we want to listen to that call. If things are going well for you lately, stop and consider Jesus. If things are difficult lately and messy, stop and consider Jesus. If things are going by so fast it feels like a whiz, or on the flip side, if things are just plodding through, still stop and consider Jesus. We need this. Set your thoughts here. This is part of your heavenly calling as brothers and sisters, holy to the Lord. This is a source of faith for you, and this will be a source of hope for you. So I trust that on your own, in the other six days of the week, that you're taking some time to pause and consider Jesus. But this morning, we'll do it together. We want to consider what the author then tells us about Jesus, and then. We'll consider Moses, and then we'll consider ourselves. So we'll do it in that order. Consider Jesus, consider Moses, consider ourselves. First, let's consider Jesus. Right away, at the beginning of this chapter, the author tells us specifically two things that we are to consider about Jesus. Did you see it? Verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. There's the two, Jesus the apostle and Jesus the high priest. Now, there are lots of true things that we could say about Jesus. Jesus is savior, teacher, healer. Eternal Son of God, He's the Lamb of God, the Just Judge, the King of Kings, the one who died and rose again. There's there's lots of things we could say about Jesus. So, of all the true things, why then does the author give us these specific two things to consider Christ the Apostle and Christ the High Priest? One of these two things is a major prominent theme in the book of Hebrews. And the other is not. You'll know which is which if you're a regular reader of the whole book of Hebrews. Which, just as an aside, if you are not already that, I would encourage you to become that. Uh, we want to sit and read or at least listen to God's word and sit and, and take in all of Hebrews at once if you can. Sit and read it all the way through. It's just 13 chapters, shorter than an episode of most TV shows. And don't worry if you, if you feel like you're not getting it. All or understanding everything. We trust that God and his word are powerful. And the Spirit will bear fruit if you're considering Jesus. He will train us in righteousness and faithfulness. This is not about boasting about how smart we are and how much of the Bible we know. It's about boasting in our hope. So if we become listeners of the whole book of Hebrews, you know that a major theme in it is Christ the Great High Priest, How he's a better, the best high priest. And so we'll have plenty of time in future chapters uh, to unpack more of what that means that Jesus is our high priest. What I want to do this morning then is to look at the other one of the two. What does it mean that Christ is here called an apostle? Especially because this is the only time in the entire New Testament or even the entire Bible, that Christ is called the word Apostle. So why then does the author say this here? What does it mean that Christ is an Apostle? To help us answer that, we need to take a little bit of a rabbit trail. It'll be okay, we won't lose track of our path. We'll stick a stake in the ground so we can come back, Uh, but we'll take a rabbit trail to look at what generally what an apostle is. An apostle can refer to a, a number of things. Just like in the scripture, the word elder can refer to a couple of things. So sometimes when the scripture talks about an elder, it's talking about someone who is older, Someone who you young'uns need to learn to respect, and that's true. We need to learn to respect our elders, the people older than us. Sometimes the word elder is in reference to an office, the elders, which also, by the way, we learn to respect. And so I, to many of you, am an elder in one sense, but not in the other. I'm I'm younger than you, so you are my elder, but I'm also in the office uh, of elder. So I'm in the office of elder, but I don't have the age of an elder. Apostle also has an official sense. It's almost a title. So sometimes uh, we hear ones called John the Apostle. And, And these are often known as the 12, the 12 apostles. So many people followed Jesus just because they wanted to. They found him interesting. There was life for them. They just kind of tripped upon it and ended up kind of following him, and he welcomed them when when they followed after him. But there were a few men specifically that Jesus called and chose to be apostles, 12 of them. There's songs written about this. I learned one when I was a kid. I won't sing it. Nope, I considered it for a second. I'm not going to sing it. The, the, the 12, we don't have to sing it. You know them Simon Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, all those. Plus uh, also Peter, er, Paul, who's later specifically called to be an apostle by Jesus. These men, these 12, are the authoritative and primary sources of the New Testament. This apostleship, the 12, was not an office that was to be handed down from person to person. So there are no apostles in this sense currently. In fact, even by the end of the first century, there were no more apostles because they had all died or been killed. The only time in the scriptures where we see an apostle replaced is in the situation of Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Judas died, he took his own life, and Judas, the apostle, was, a, was replaced by Matthias, not just because Judas had died, but because Judas had abandoned his calling as apostle. We see this, turn with me if you're reading along in your Bibles, to Acts, in chapter 1. This is when it happens here at the end of Acts chapter 1, verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So they're looking now for one who would not turn aside as Judas had done. And the process by which they consider possible people to replace Judas shows us a lot about what an apostle is. If we back up just a bit in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 So the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. In other words, the apostles had to be with Jesus during his entire ministry from his baptism to his ascension back to the Father, so roughly three to four years. They also had to be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. So these apostles were witnesses not only with their own eyes of seeing the resurrection of Jesus, which they did. They were also witnesses with their mouths these apostles were to speak the witness of Jesus to others. This was their job or purpose. In fact, that's what the word apostle literally means. It means one who is sent. So, if, uh, maybe childish way that I remember this for myself is the apostles are pennies. They're one cent. No, one. All right. I know, it's not funny, but it helps me remember, the apostle is one cent. So they're not just to give their own two cents about Jesus. They are one cent from Jesus. These twelve apostles were sent as delegates or representatives of Jesus after he returned to the Father. So that's one sense of apostle, officially, but there's another sense in which an apostle was not necessarily part of the 12, but others who were sent with other various messages. So for example, Barnabas is called an apostle when he's sent to the city of Antioch. He's the one sent. Or Epaphras, the guy that carried the letter to the the Philippians from Paul, he's the apostle, or the one sent with the letter. It's in this sense that Jesus is called an apostle, So not that he's part of this group of 12 men, but Jesus is one sent from the Father. The scripture talks about him this way, even though it doesn't use the word apostle, the idea is underneath it. There's many places I could go, but just as an example, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So they talk about Jesus this way, that he's one who is sent. And even Jesus himself refers to himself as one who is sent. Luke Chapter 4, in the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus stands up and reads out of Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover sight to blind, liberty to the oppressed, and so on and so on. You get it. I don't need to prove this any further. Jesus is sent from the Father. The people did not go seeking after him. God sent him. That's what it means that he was an apostle. Now, that was our very long rabbit trail. We're back, back on the path. Now, consider Jesus, the apostle, the one sent, and the high priest. And there is a reason, I think, why the author mentions those two together. Because Jesus is an apostle sent from God. In other words, he is God's representative to the people. And Jesus is the high priest. He is the people's representative to God. Did you get that? Jesus is God's representative to the people, and he is the people's representative to God. Jesus is the, the go between between God and the people. So it reminds me of something from my childhood. This. This is not the actual one from my childhood. Do you recognize this, anyone? It's the little piece of plastic something. This is uh, called, a, I think, a tornado tube. And the way you use this little thing is you take two soda bottles, the big two liters, and you fill them up, not all the way, but part way with water, and you screw one onto one end and one on the other. Then you hold it up, and you kind of go like this. You know why? It makes a cool tornado at the top. This is what occupied us before, you know, Facebook and YouTube, make a little, it was supposed to be some science experiment or something, uh, but there were these little bottle tornadoes, and, and Jesus is like the little piece of plastic that holds the two bottles together. In fact, later in the book of Hebrews, it'll call Jesus the mediator, or the intercessor. He is the bridge Between God and man. Now, let's consider Moses. Because there's a sense in which Moses is part of this bottle tube, too. He's this little plastic piece between God and the people. You know, when he went up on Mount Sinai, he would come down with a word from God, he was God's representative to the people. And then he would go back up Mount Sinai as the people's representative to God, and back and forth he would go, Moses the guy in between. One time, when he was up on the mountain with God, uh, the people thought that he had been wiped out, dead, I don't know what, exactly what they thought. Uh, so they began to make their own god uh, in the form of a calf, a golden calf, you know this from Numbers. But there's a poem written about it in Psalms. If I can find it here. Psalms chapter 106. Let me read just a small section of this here. Verse 19. They made a calf in Horeb. That's another name for Mount Sinai. They made a calf in Horeb. And worshiped a metal image, and they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, he, the Lord, said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one... Stood in the gap before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Did you catch it there? God would have destroyed the people had not Moses' mindset stood in the breach, stood in the gaping chasm between the righteous holiness of God and the sinful unholiness of the people. Moses then is standing in that tension in the gap with a tornado on either side so that the glory of God will not be profaned and so that the people of God would not be destroyed, that they would be punished but not cast out. And the author of Hebrews says that Moses was faithful in that role faithful in the space between God and man, but also that he was not enough for it. The next sections in Hebrew begin to talk about this, that soon after the Lord relents from his wrath against the people and their idols, the people are restored, but then they abandon God again. They are faithless, they are grumbling, they are disobedient, and again the Lord's anger is kindled. And the cycle happens again and again and again. Moses then stands in the gap, but he is unable to stop the cycle. He is unable to change the hearts of the people. And he is unable to handle the pressure of the tornado that's mounting on both sides that is just too great for him. But Jesus is greater. He's a better Moses with more glory. That's what the author means in verse 5. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Look then at verse 6. Christ was faithful over God's house as a son. Part of the reason why Moses was not able to do this is because he is a servant of God, which is good, but he's just a man and not God. In other words, Moses is part of the lower bottle of the tornado, so he cannot fully stand in the gap between God and man. But Jesus, who is fully God in the top bottle and fully man in the bottom bottle, He's an apostle to man and a high priest to God. He can stand in the gap between. And he even does more than that. He just does more than just stand in the gap between. Jesus died for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, not just to manage the gap, not just to keep us from being destroyed, He did this to bring us to God. To actually get rid of the gap between the two bottles, to bring the two bottles together and rid them of the tornadoes once and for all. This is the work of Jesus. So now, last part, consider yourself. Consider yourself. If what the author says here is true, that Jesus is an apostle and a high priest, faithful as Moses was, but also with greater glory than Moses over God's house, then look at the implications here. This is what the author says in verse 6. Listen here. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. We are God's house. We're the household, his people, but we are also the very dwelling of God if we hold fast to our confession. If you are a believer who hopes in Jesus, one who holds fast to faithfulness in Jesus, then the Spirit of God dwells in you. Let that sink in. God dwells in you. Not this building. In this heart. He dwells in your heart. So Christian... Are you weary and troubled? Remind yourself that you are God's house through Christ and hold on to your confidence. Are you battling against sin and have wounds of war? Remind yourself that you are God's house through Christ and hold fast to your confession. Are you worried about the future or worried about the past? Remind yourself that you are God's house through Christ and hold on to your confession. And are you struggling to remember your heavenly calling or to find your place and purpose now even? Remind yourself that you are God's house through Christ and hold on to your confidence. We are God's house. And in all of this, give glory to God because the builder of God's house is worthy of far more honor than even the house itself. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us, for sending your Son to us. Would you help us then by your strength to hold fast to our confession? Help us to consider Jesus, to fix our minds and hearts here in a way that will increase our hope in you, We do trust you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.